Hey, good morning, LCM. Thank you. Today's January 5th, 2020. The title of today's message is Perpetual Priesthood. Say it with me. Say perpetual priesthood. Perpetual priesthood. See, while today is the first official service and sermon of 2020, we want to remind you that the Lord has been clearly speaking and moving on our behalf for several weeks now. He's already been speaking to us, so we want to continue in that vein. Consider the last four sermons that we had in 2019. In the sermon titled Noble Occupation, Elder Eric revealed to us a new... Oh, yeah. Didn't he bring a, a revelatory word that changed your life? I'm, I'm talking about one that was related to in a personal way, looking to the parable of the four soils. So where we saw that was in Luke 8. We saw those four soils that you had one seed, one sower, four different soils. The first one being the one that was hardened is that one that was sown along the path. The second one had rocks within the soil. When tested, it didn't last. The third had weeds and thorns that grew up next to it and eventually choked it out. But it's that fourth one that we're aiming to cultivate in all the soils within our heart. It's that one that is noble, that produces a fruit 30, 60, and 100 fold. Look, the sower is God in this parable. And the seed is God's word. The soils are the areas and conditions of your heart as a field, one total field. You know the condition of your soil, of your heart at any given time because it's based on your response to the word being sown into it at the moment. Y'all ever experienced that? A word comes forth and how does your heart react in that moment? Compare to these four soils and see exactly where it's at. The point is that the soils of your heart must be cultivated. Amen? See, each person has all four soils within your field. Man, that should change forever the way that you look at that parable. Let's all turn to Matthew chapter 13, and we're going to look at verse 44. If you know that you have all four types of soil within your heart, then you're no longer trying to exclude parts of that parable for you personally. You're not trying to make it about the neighbor who has, oh yeah, that one has the heart. That soil is a path. It's hardened towards the things of the Lord. Yeah, what we're trying to do as a church is, is to elevate our priesthood to understand that you have areas in your heart that act just like a path. And you can tell and identify those places by how you respond to the Word of God. If you can hear the Word of God and it not penetrate your heart, then you are in that area just like the path. See, and in Matthew thirteen forty four, are you there? It says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again and then in in his joy went and sold all that he had and bought the field. See, the Lord loves you. Are are you guys with us today? Yeah, so the Lord actually loves you. (laughs) I know y'all are trying to be good students and wait for what was next, and I just kind of got caught up on that moment there. The Lord loves you. See, he purchased your whole life like a man that purchases a whole field. He bought it all. He gave all that he had to purchase your field. See, what the Lord treasures and what each of us should treasure is the parts of the field that through obedience produce the kingdom that is already his. This required the Lord as the purchaser to give all he had, and it requires you as the field to give all that you have in return. See, if there was one treasure in the field that was purchased, 
we must continually cultivate so that we can make the entire field profitable for the one who purchased us. This is what we are working on as a church. This is clearly what God is speaking to us. Each and every one that that is our intention, Lord, we want to cultivate our heart. We want you to help us to cultivate our heart so that each part of this, you will find more and more and more treasures in us because you deserve it, Lord. As your pastors, we long to see you produce more treasure. This, this thought continued in a message cultivated to conception. It was a brief Christmas Eve message that we started from a place that the soil was in the process of continual cultivation. That we must go through that process of being continually cultivated, which requires us to look at what else is needed to be cultivated for the purpose of growth. See, God is aiming each one of these messages to produce more fruit, to produce more treasure out of the fields of our heart. That we must prepare that soil to have God's word planted into it so that it can conceive and give life and birth to the kingdom of God here on earth. We examine the initial barrenness of cultivated women such as Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, Manoah's wife, Hannah, Elizabeth, and Mary. We went on to notice that 1 Corinthians 3.7 is right when it says only God can make something grow. There is the seed, there's the sowing, there is the watering, but only God can make things grow. This revelation compels us to cultivate the soils of our hearts, to prepare a place for that seed to grow as God gives it growth, but also to ask God to conceive or or give supernatural birth of his word inside of us in every area of our field. There shouldn't be one area of our hearts that isn't being tilled up, turned over, rocks removed, weeds choked out by the success of God's growth of his word within inside the four areas of our heart. So that we produce what he desires for our lifetime. Come on, not just one day of growth and success, not just one week, but what we're looking for is a continual growth because that is what comes from continual cultivation. Lastly, we notice that this only happens when his spirit overshadows you. Remember when we spoke about that? And that it requires to be in the right position. As a church, we, we begin to pray and position ourselves in the shadow of the Almighty so that his power would overshadow our position, bringing to life a conceiving of God's kingdom in us and through us on earth. Church, we are taking time here at the beginning of this sermon very much on purpose. We're trying to review these last sermons because this church is so uh, blessed by having some pretty deep revelation. Beautiful things that the Lord shares with us. But see, the Lord is intending us to actually take what he's saying and put it into practice. So if we talk about cultivating the four soils and the last time that you remembered it was two weeks ago when we had the service, then you're not cultivating your soil. You're allowing actually the seed of God's word to get in there, but it have no effect or have little effect. What we're trying to do is rally you to remember these things, not just so that you can intellectually recall them, but so that you can evaluate your heart to see if you've been doing them. Church, we are supposed to be cultivating our hearts. We're supposed to be positioning ourselves that the Holy Spirit might overshadow what he has put within inside of us, that it might be all the way to conception, to birth, that God's will will be done on earth through us. See, last Sunday, what we also talked about was cultivated koanim and chief priests. 
Another way to say that is we talked about elevating your priesthood. You're going to hear us say that a lot today. You're going to hear us say a lot in the next upcoming months because to elevate your priesthood, you can't do it from a phrase. You've got to do it from a lifestyle that actually causes you to rise in what God has called you to do, to produce fruit, to produce more fruit than you thought possible yesterday. That today, man, yesterday may have been incredible, but today is going to be better because I'm going to continually elevate the priesthood. See, we looked at every area of the Tanakh in the Newer Testament. We began to see that believers are declared to be priests, but we are priests in progress to perfecting a priesthood. Do you remember we read from Revelation chapter 1? You are a born-again believer who is at a certain level of ministry. You're a born-again believer who was at a certain level of ministry. See, we're not talking about before you were saved because that's no level of ministry at all. We're talking about where you were, and we're also talking that you are a born-again believer who is to come into a greater level of ministry. See, this is not a burden for us today. It should be the highest privilege of our life. We should realize that God is calling us upward. He's saying, yes, you're already a kingdom of priests, but I want to make you into chief priests. That every man and every woman in this room must elevate what you're doing. It's not enough that by the end of this sermon or by the end of this week or by the end of this year, you're at the same place that you were when you started. It's not acceptable. It's not acceptable to your pastors. You know why? Because the Lord is saying you need to elevate your priesthood. We're doing this in every way and we want you to join us in this. The Lord loves us at every level of ministry, no matter where you are in ministry. But he's calling us to elevate the priesthood in our lives. We're moving from Kohanim, from priest to chief priests. That demands more of us, but it also comes with certain privileges. We realize that the Kohanim had extremely devoted standards regarding the way that they lived, who they married, and even how they handled the death of close relatives. In examining Leviticus 21, we discovered that chief priests had far greater access to the privilege and presence of God. Somebody say privilege. Privilege. Do you forget what a privilege it is sometimes to be able to come into the presence of God? You heard encouragements today. You've heard you've been in the presence of God. This is such a privilege. This is not a burden. See, we're contemptible when we start thinking about it. Well, the Lord's calling us to go higher. I'm not sure if I can. Yeah, this is the greatest privilege that you could ever hope to have is that God is inviting you upward. See, a Cohen could marry a widow, but a chief Cohen could only marry a virgin. I hope that what you're hearing from us is that there's an elevation that's required. A Cohen could stop his work for the death of his parents or children, but a chief priest could not. A Cohen got to work in the tabernacle, but a chief Cohen got to enter into the holy of holies. And this is what the Lord is calling this church to be a part of. Come on, somebody say that's a privilege. That's a privilege. The Lord is elevating our priesthood. And as part of that process... In that one of the messages we preached, we said that those that are devoted to the Lord are anointed in special ways. Is that a privilege? Yeah. Absolutely. But it comes with a responsibility. That those who are, that are devoted to the Lord are anointed in special ways, and those that are anointed in special ways must show special devotion. Amen. See, having that privilege and that honor to enter into the Holy of Holies... It comes with a price, a price that we pay through special devotion of wholeheartedly giving our all to elevate our priesthood to chief priest level. And by doing so, we get to stand at the epicenter of God's presence. 
to intercede for God's people in the most uh, central place and thereby see salvation for nations come about. Or put another way, those that want to minister at higher levels must show higher levels of devotion to that ministry. The level that you were last year is not the level the Lord wants you to be today. So the level and capacity that you've been operating in last year is not the same level required to operate in the level of ministry today. Are we going to elevate our priesthood within this body? Are we also going to elevate our devotion to that ministry the Lord has given us? We realize that we need to leave dead, unproductive areas of our lives behind so that we could show more devotion to the name of the Lord. Oh, how freeing it is when the Lord begins to convict you of areas that are hindering, preventing you from elevating your priesthood, preventing you from showing that elevated level of special devotion. And once they're cut away, you then begin to experience more of his presence, more of his anointing flowing through you. Because we have the privilege and honor of being called to elevate our level of priesthood from the already high standards of a Kohen in order to become a chief priest. Are we going to become chief priest in this house? Yes. Amen. See, today we want to pick up in our time together with what Elder Eric shared with us about how to cure the Kohenim and purify the priesthood. See, if, uh, if, if you missed our time on, on Tuesday evening, the reason we keep uh, lovingly referring to him as Elder Eric, we, we had a special time on Tuesday evening for New Year's Eve. There are some that came and they left early and they missed. It's not that the Lord doesn't love you if you left early. Of course he does. But you just can't elevate your priesthood. That oh, way. that's a good word right there. See, if you missed it, we are trying to help you elevate. And so what we did was we put it online for you. We encourage you. Amen. We challenge you. We charge you to listen to it because you're going to actually probably want to listen to it again and again. See, but today we're going to talk about a purify, a curing the Kohanim and purifying the priesthood so that we can have a perpetual priesthood. Amen. Somebody say perpetual priesthood. Perpetual priesthood. Turn with us to Numbers chapter 25. Say what perpetual s- whenever you get there. <laughs> Amen. In verse 1, it says this. While Israel was staying in Shittim, the men began to indulge in sexual immorality with the Moabite women. See, what we've already learned is that this idea, when they begin to indulge in sexual immorality in the Hebrew, that's the word for the female component, for the female participation in prostitution. Israel, the men of Israel, began to indulge in a female version of prostitution. Wow, what an incredible thought that, that this perversion is going on. Israel's not going after prostitutes. They are becoming the prostitute. See, Israel's supposed to be the very bride of Christ. Aren't you and I supposed to be doing the same thing? Yeah. See, where are the leaders in all of this is the cry that we have. And we don't just mean the ones that are sitting on the stage or your elders sitting in the seat. We're saying, where are the leaders in, this, in what's going on? If you're a Cohen, then where are you in this process? Where are you as you're evaluating this passage today? You're looking at where you are so that you might elevate elevate your priesthood so that you can have a perpetual priesthood. Let's look at verse 2. 
Verse 2 says, who invited them to the sacrifices to their gods. The people ate and bowed down before these gods. What we see in this passage is something reflective in Exodus 34, verse 15 and 16, which says, be careful not to make a treaty with those who live in the land. For when they prostitute themselves to their gods and sacrifice to them, they will invite you and you will eat their sacrifices. Well, what kind of treaties have you set up that God has not established? Treaties with relatives. Treaties with certain expectations of what your life should look like that God hasn't ordained. And it's constantly inviting you to participate in its worship rather than the worship to the living God. Pulling at your heart to abandon His commands or at least compromise them. See, we have to identify the things that we are making a treaty with so they can be cut off. We also cut off the invitation to join in idolatry that will remove from us the promises being fulfilled in our life. Verse 16 says, And when you choose some of their daughters as wives for your sons, and those daughters prostitute themselves to their gods, they will lead your sons to do the same. Sin doesn't just affect you. Sin affects the generations. The imperative that's being stated here of being careful not to make a treaty with those who live in the land is that we are having to purify our priesthood so that it can become a perpetual priesthood. Carry on from one generation to the next, not making the same mistakes that we have made, but removing that invitation that has been established by a treaty that God hasn't ordained. Let's look at verse 3. It says, so Israel joined in worshiping the Baal of Peor. See, what started out as just the men became the whole nation, became the, became the whole group. So Israel joined in worshiping. That idea of the word for join there is to harness, is to yoke, is to tie, is to fasten oneself. The people of God that fastened themselves to the worshiping of the Baal of Peor and the Lord's anger burned against it. See, what we're going to talk about is the reason that God's anger burned against them here in just a few minutes. But this is a pervasive attitude. This is a pervasive when you can say the entire group did this. What does that mean? That means it's so rampant. It's so prevalent. It's so accepted that even if they weren't doing it, they were accepting of those who did. See, the Lord may love you, but you're not going to elevate your priesthood by accepting poor behavior out of yourself or out of others. Of accepting sinful behavior in what you're doing. Let's, let's continue on in verse 4. The Lord said to Moses, take all the leaders of these people. Kill them and expose them in broad daylight before the Lord, so that the Lord's fierce anger may turn away from Israel. Further study in this passage that he's speaking to the heads of the people, the Rosh Ha'am, the leaders, all the leaders, not just those who participated in the sin, but all the leaders who were uh, uh, held accountable with the right order of Shalom for the entire nation. And the specific word for death here is that by which is impaled. And to be done in the face of the sun, meaning no shadow, no hidden areas, no compromise, or just doing it in secret. It was for full public view that these issues were to be dealt with by impaling the leaders who had overseen the nation of Israel. Let's look at verse 5. So Moses said to Israel's judges, each of you must put to death those of your men who have joined in 
worshiping the Baal of Peor. See, this, this caught our attention as your pastors. We have learned to revere Moses as a leader. We've learned to revere what he did with the nation of Israel and what he did. We can learn so many things from him, but here what we see is that Moses modifies God's words. At least that's just Moses, right? No. Anybody in the room ever modified God's words to you? Yes. Yes, absolutely. See, for us to elevate our priesthood, we have to identify the fact that we are prone as individuals to modify God's words to us. Even Moses does it here because the instructions were to take care of all the leaders because the leaders were allowing it. But Moses said, uh, let's let's take and put to death each of the men who are participating in it. See, what was it reasoned that God only meant that those who committed the fornication? Uh, I, I know what God said, but I'm sure that he meant this. Wow. This happens all the time in my home. My wife is a wonderful wife, and she tries to help me often. And sometimes the help is not exactly what I was looking for. It's actually not at all what I wanted. Hey, I, want you, I need you to help me to do this. But uh, I was only trying to help you, hon. Yeah, see, we can't help the Lord along. What we have to do is become experts at hearing his word and functioning exactly in what he said to have such a reverence for him that we don't want to do anything else other than what he has instructed to us. See, when the difficulty of God's standard is seen as a burden, man, I I don't know if I want to do that because that seems a little harsh. That seems a little too pointed. Perhaps I will shade it this way. Perhaps I will come off of the standard because I'm sure that he meant this. See, that is offensive to God. It is contemptible to God when we change the words of what he said to us. When we don't hold it in high enough reverence that we do exactly what he said. When we modify the specifics of God's standard in an effort to, in an effort to be compassionate, it's offensive to God. Somebody say, that's offensive. That's offensive. Yeah, but I'm just trying to be sweet. I'm just trying to be helpful. I, I just want to encourage you, my brother. We are required to do exactly what the Lord says. When we accept behavior that he doesn't, it's offensive. Somebody say, that's offensive. That's offensive. Our actions either show honor or contempt for God. See, any breakdown in this process will cause a breakdown in your home. And when there's a breakdown in your home, there will be a breakdown on the battlefield later. See, what we're trying to do is shore it up. What you heard from Miss Joe today was a prophecy that says that he is going to encourage us, that he is causing us to step forward, to, to avoid the fear and step forward in what he's calling us. What Eric shared with us early was a word of encouragement that he is going to work these things out in us. But we have to come up in our level of reverence. We have to come up in our level of respect for him and not do anything other than what he's asking. This will keep you from breaking down later on. This will keep you from having breakdowns in your marriage. This will keep you from having breakdowns in your home. And this will keep you from having breakdowns on the battlefield when it really counts. Saints, I'd rather be broken at the altar so that the soil of my heart can be cultivated and prevent me from actually breaking down on the battlefield. That when I stand in that place, I can rightly represent God and accomplish everything that he's put before me. In verse six, there there was then an Israelite man brought to his family, a Midianite woman right before the eyes of Moses and the whole assembly of Israel while they were weeping at the entrance to the tent of meeting. Entrance to the tent of meeting. This is all taking place in the visible presence of God that's at the center of the camp. Everybody can see that cloud by day and that fire by night. 
And right before the eyes of Moses and the whole assembly, at the entrance to the tent of meeting. See, not only did Moses allow things to get to this point, he modified God's solution of what to do at this point. See, then Moses is not the one who acts. Eleazar is not the one who acts to to implement the solution. Joshua is not the one who acts. They are weeping when they should have been walking towards the source of that problem. We've all had failures. Failures by modifying what God has said to us that has led to a visible uh, opposition to the presence in the name of God. But as men of God, we got to stand up and begin to do something about it. Not just hold your head in your hands and weep and mourn about it. Instead, we got to get up and walk and do what is righteous about it. Because weeping doesn't cure the priesthood. Getting up and walking will cure the priesthood altogether. Amen. Look at verse 7. When Phinehas, son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, saw this, he left the assembly. He took a spear in his hand and followed the Israelite into the tent. He drove the spear through both of them, through the Israelite and into the woman's body. Then the plague against the Israelites was stopped. But those who died in the plague numbered 24,000. Somebody say, that's serious. serious. See, Phinehas had stopped the plague that Moses' compromise, that the leader's compromise had allowed. Man, we don't even get this sometimes. The Lord is trying to get our attention and there's adversity that's added in our life. And we don't even sometimes consider that it's because we have compromised in certain ways. See, think about your level of priesthood with your spouse, with your children, with your relatives. Don't you need to purify your priesthood today? Yes. Don't you? Yes. Don't we need to cure the curse of the people because of the priest's apathy, compromise, and indifference today? See, this is what we are establishing as we're moving forward in what God is going to show us here about how to be perpetual priests, how to have a perpetual priesthood, is that we have to truly evaluate these things. Just because we've talked about it in a previous sermon doesn't mean that we are yet as a church identifying the right areas where our priesthood needs to be cured, where we are supposed to be purifying the priesthood. And I can assure you that it starts with a reverence for the Lord. I can assure you that it starts with us understanding and cultivating the soil of our hearts today. Let's look at verse 10. The Lord said to Moses, Phinehas, son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, has turned away, turned my anger away from the Israelites. For he was as zealous as I am for my honor among them. So that in my zeal, I did not put an end to them. I want us to look at this in the NASB. The NASB, it says, verse 10. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron the priest, has turned away my wrath from the sons of Israel, in that he was jealous with my jealousy among them. Y'all get that? He was jealous with my jealousy among them, so that I did not destroy the sons of Israel in my jealousy. You see, what we're trying to cultivate within our hearts that leads to a perpetual priesthood is not just having a zeal in and of our own, but it's to obtain his jealousy. 
obtain his zeal, his fervor for the holiness of his name. Because we don't represent ourselves, we represent the name of God everywhere that we go. And the zeal of God consumed the heart of Phineas. And he got up, walked, and did something about it. Church, if we are going to elevate our priesthood, we have to be like Phinehas. We must become jealous. And jealous to this extent. More jealous than a husband has for a wife. I'm talking about the jealousy that is for God's name. That name that's above every name. That most high and almighty God that we serve who is greater than every covenant that has ever been established. Let's possess that same jealousy for the name of God that exceeds every other jealousy that exists on earth. See, church, when you are as jealous for God's name as he is, then you can participate in a perpetual priesthood. Yeah. Let's hold your place there in numbers, but let's turn to uh, Exodus chapter 34. Exodus 34, and we're going to start in verse 14. (laughs) <laughs> Exodus thirty four fourteen. So look up at me now, church. So if I was going to ask you, what is the name of the Lord? What would you say? Jealous. His name is Jealous. You could say Jesus. You could say Yahweh, Yehovah. God is love. The New Testament teaches us that God is love. Yeah, see, the one that we're going to look at is right here in Exodus 34, 14. It says this, do not worship any other God for the Lord whose name is jealous is a jealous God. So when we say that you have to be as jealous for God's name as he is, and one of his defining characteristics is the fact that he is jealous. He is a jealous God. His name is jealous. Yeah. How jealous is that? How zealous is that? How you doing on that level? When you compare yourself to that name, what we want to do is encourage you to be able to say, this is the jealousy, the zealousness that I must possess, that you must possess. When you are reading this, his name is jealous, church. Yeah. God, man, there's some areas in my heart that I'm just not jealous enough for his name, for his way, for his desire. There's far too many things that I can do that pull me off that I'm just fine doing it on my own. And he might love me, but you're not going to elevate the priesthood that way. See, this is a defining characteristic of our great God. We need to get over the elementary thought that jealous is bad or that it's only bad. Here, it must be something that is incredibly good because it defines our God. It's not only a God of love, but he's a God of jealousy, of zealousness, of passion towards what he loves. See, Phinehas was curing the priesthood by being as jealous as God is. He was purifying the priesthood by being as jealous as God is. He was elevating the priesthood by being as jealous as God is. How are you doing today? Have you moved into an area where you're becoming jealous for the things of the Lord? You don't want anything else to get in that time with your word or is, or is our, our phones getting in the way? Or are there obligations getting in our way? See, the Lord is going to help us to elevate so that we can have a perpetual priesthood. Do y'all hear the level that pastor is speaking of that we must have a jealousy? That means being as jealous as God is. Not just partially uh, jealous or zealous. 
not even three quarters, but rising up to the level of being as jealous as God is about everything. We read earlier in verse 15, be careful not to make a treaty with those who live in the land for when they prostitute themselves to their gods and sacrifice to them, they will invite you and you will eat their sacrifices. And when you choose some of their daughters as wives for your sons and those daughters prostitute themselves to their gods, they will lead your sons to do the same. Why is the Lord speaking this? Because he is jealous. He is jealous for his people and he's jealous for his name. He's calling them to rise up to the same level of being jealous for his name as he is. But something interesting that we saw this morning, verse 17, it's a continuation of thought. It says, do not make cast idols. He started with the understanding of do not make a treaty with those who live in the land. Basically relating or eventually leading to your sons and daughters prostituting themselves to uh, other gods. And then making it very clear, do not make cast idols. Because our God is a jealous God. Let's look at verse 18. Celebrate the feast of unleavened bread. Doesn't that sound like kind of a non sequitur? Doesn't it sound like we're on to a new topic here? You were just talking about not making treaties, and not making idols. And now we're going to talk about celebrate the festival of unleavened bread. For seven days, eat bread made without yeast as I commanded you. Do this at the appointed time in the month of Aviv. For in that month you came out of Egypt. See, but what the Lord knows, He's actually giving you a solution. Somebody say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. See, He's not just explaining to you a problem. He's giving you a solution in the same passage. What is that solution? That solution is, is we have to be constantly looking for sin. We have to constantly be finding the yeast and removing it from our lives. The process of this was a father leading his family to look for the yeast in the home. A father who is leading his family to expect that there is sin in the house and it's your job to find it and get rid of it. Man, what a better expectation than trying to say, oh, there's nothing wrong with us, Pastor. See, I mean, uh, we know that that's that Facebook, you know, everybody wants to put their best foot forward. You think that's only on social media? This is what happens when people speak to us as pastors, when they speak to our elders. People are always trying to put their best foot forward. You know what we've learned? It's our job to hunt for the yeast. And if you're going to elevate your priesthood, guess who's... Guess whose job that is as well? It's your job. It's your job to find where the sin is, not if it's there, but where it is so that you can remove it. See, we've got to cultivate these ideas in our heart. You are not better because you have no sin. You are better because you get rid of the sin. It is just pride and sin and idolatry to think that you don't have areas in your heart that God must purify, that he must have you remove the sin. If you're going to elevate your heart, if you're going to elevate your life, if you're going to elevate your priesthood, you have to go after it. The Lord is giving the solution in this verse to celebrate the feast of unleavened bread so that our soil is truly cultivated. By going through that process that pastor just explained to you is what leads to a perpetual priesthood. Look at verse 19 of how this continues. The first offspring of every womb belongs to me, including all the firstborn males of your livestock, whether from herd or flock. Redeem the firstborn donkey with a lamb, but if you do not redeem it, break its neck. Redeem all your firstborn sons. See, God wasn't just taking care of the sin of the day. 
in Numbers 25. But he was setting up the future generations for an even greater level of being as jealous for God's name as Phineas was. By getting up from weeping and begin to walk and do something about that sin, seeing it as an honor that you are getting rid of it, not just the fact that it exists. That enables us to then set up the future generations, my sons, my daughters, that can carry on the work of God now with the same level of zeal that Phineas had. I want to see our children surpass us, go to greater levels of ministry, elevate their priesthood far above our own. Who gets the glory? God gets the glory. And we get to participate with the fruit of their work as they participate in the fruit of our work. The generations are at, are what are at stake. We have to have the jealousy that clings to the Lord and that eventually redeems the sons and daughters of our household. Let's look at the last phrase here on your screen in verse 20. No one is to appear before me empty handed. Hey church, I want to remind you that this entire passage is the solution. The Lord is helping us even to know what to do even before the, the problem was, had arrived. What we fail to engage in or say anything about. When you come before the Lord and you are empty handed, it results in destroying, not perpetuating the generations, not perpetuating the priesthood. This is what's at stake. You're supposed to come before the Lord having produced something for him. You are not supposed to come before him empty handed. You have to work the soil. You have to cultivate the soil. You have to elevate your priesthood so that you don't show up before the Lord with nothing in hand. This is contemptible to him. He is showing you how to present an offering that is worthy of him. Let's go back to Numbers chapter 25, and let's pick it up in verse 12. Therefore tell him, I am making my covenant of peace with him. He and his descendants will have a covenant of a lasting, a perpetual priesthood. Because he was zealous for the honor of his God and made atonement for the Israelites. The descendants of Phinehas were given a perpetual priesthood because of the zeal and zealousness he displayed in that one moment. When you are as jealous for God's name as he is, you can then participate in the perpetual priesthood that we see established right here in the lineage of Phinehas. We were reading through and we found a, a historical account from Josephus about Phinehas. Here's just a little phrase from that. He was of so great magnanimity, both in strength of mind and body, that when he undertook any very dangerous attempt, he did not leave it off until he overcame it and got an entire victory. Somebody say entire victory. victory. See, if you're going to start acting and elevating your priesthood like Phinehas did so that you can enjoy a perpetual priesthood, you're going to have to have something on the inside of you that says any difficult task, he never left it until he got an entire victory. Somebody say entire victory. Entire victory. Come on, we've got to stop selling for partial victories in this house. Amen. We've got to go after entire victory so that what we are doing will be perpetuated through the generations. You think God wants to perpetu- perpetuate a priesthood that only has partial victories? No. No. That's not a priesthood that is worthy to be perpetuated. See, but what is going on here is that Phinehas had this understanding. This kind of zealous, jealous pursuit of what we all must have. You don't leave it until you overcome it. You get an entire victory in everything that you're doing. This will cause others to join in your pursuit. Immediately after this passage in Josephus, 
he says that there were other young men. There were other young men that rose up and did the exact same thing as Phinehas. See, he began to perpetuate a priesthood in his own generation. What he did was contagious and other men joined him and then it went through the generations. Your perpetual priesthood will be in your own family and in those that join you to regard, to virtue, aimed at a glorious action and imitating your faith jealously put forth towards God's name. Amen. See, this is what we're going after today. Amen. Everybody turn to 2 Kings verse 19. Yep, sorry, 2 Kings chapter 19, verse 29. You heard Pastor just declare that the Lord wants us to get the entire victory by being jealous for His name. 2 Kings chapter 19, verse 29. This will be the sign for you, O Hezekiah. This year you will eat what grows by itself. And the second year, what springs from that? But in the third year, sow and reap. Plant vineyards and eat their fruit. Once more, a remnant of the house of Judah will take root below and bear fruit above. For out of Jerusalem will come a remnant, and out of Mount Zion, a band of survivors. This is a word that the Lord gave us at the beginning of last year. It set the course of what he is trying to instill in this body of the direction that we're going. And how we need to elevate our priesthood. But something caught our eye when we're thinking about the jealousness, the, the zeal that Phinehas had for the name of the Lord as much as the Lord did. What will help us accomplish the word that he began last year for LCM with? The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. What do we need to do to elevate our priesthood, to purify our priesthood? We need to increase the zeal of the Lord Almighty within us to that same level that it matches the same uh, level that God has jealousy for his own name. And in doing so, we will see the perpetual priesthood continue to flow out of this very church. We will see the perpetual priesthood flow from your very lives. And the efforts that we have made as a collective body will not go to waste, but it will continue from generation to generation. Church, look at that phrase. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. That means that his jealousy is going to empower you. But the other way to look at this is that the zeal for the Lord Almighty is the solution of how you're going to be victorious both from his end and you responding to that and reflecting that rightly. Come on, when you're jealous for God's name as he is, you can then participate in a perpetual priesthood. And this is the way that this is an exciting time for us as a church. The Lord is laying this out and it must get ingrained in us. You want to take a look at what a perpetual priesthood looks like? We've been talking a lot about Phinehas because we don't want to go too fast for this. We don't want to go through it so quickly that you're like, yes, yes, I know this. We're trying to help and ingrain this. We're doing this on purpose to try to work this in to the soil of your heart. I have a slide for you that's going to help summarize a lineage of Phinehas. You can see the names that are listed here. We start off with Aaron, the high priest, Eleazar, Phinehas, all the way down, Abishua, Buki, Uzi, Zariah, on and on we go. The top of the second column, Amariah, Ahitub, and Zadok. Somebody say Zadok. Zadok. These are generations and generations of family members. I want you to turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 15. 2 Samuel chapter 15, and we're going to look at verse 24. 
Who was that? Come on, Annie, get that. Second Samuel chapter 15, and we're going to look at verse 24. So Phinehas was around 1500 B.C. We're now going to advance to men who were standing next to David, which puts us at about 1000 B.C., 500 years after what Phinehas did, and God promising to give him a perpetual priesthood. We're going to see and look at Zadok, the priest. Look at verse uh, 24 of 2 Samuel 15. Zadok was there too, and all the Levites who were with him were carrying the Ark of the Covenant of God. They set down the Ark of God, and Abathar offered sacrifices until all the people had finished leaving the city. Now, to put it in context, David is in exile here. Absalom is staging a revolt, a coup, an overthrowing process of his father. Zadok, the descendant of Phinehas, is there with David. He's there walking beside David. Look at verse 25. Then the king said to Zadok, the king turns and says to Zadok, take the ark of God back into the city. You know, I've read this passage many, many times. I, I love, I love this passage. I've read it and it never hit me till it did this morning, the way that it did this morning. David has got the ark of God with him. And boy, what he realizes is, is that he's leaving Jerusalem and he realizes how important it is for God's property to be exactly where God told it to be. See, he's saying, look, I don't want to take this with me. I need you, Zadok. I am becoming jealous for the presence of God to be where it's supposed to be. It, I'm, I'm leaving and I may not be able to come back. But what you need to do, I am entrusting the very presence of God to you, Zadok. I'm leaving this with you. I need you to bring this back into the city. He's entrusting it to this man, perhaps because this man had the same kind of jealousy that his forefather Phinehas did. If I find favor in the Lord's eyes, he will bring me back and let me see it in his dwelling place again. See, David's not trying to have a trinket. He's not trying to have an amulet. He's not trying to keep the presence of God only for himself. Even in, desire, uh, even in a disastrous time, what he's doing is trying to protect the name of the Lord. He's trying to protect the presence of God. But if he says, if I am not pleased with you, then I am ready. Let him do to me whatever seems good to him. See, Zadok is giving care for the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of the Testimony, the Ark of God's presence. Zadok, a descendant of Phinehas, is demonstrating the same zeal and jealous nature that his forefather Phinehas did by devoting his life to the name of the Lord. Man, this is how a, a priesthood is perpetuated. When you are as jealous for God's name as he is, you can then participate in a perpetual priesthood. Look at verse 27. The king also said to Zadok the priest, aren't you a seer? Go back to the city in peace with your son Ahimaaz and Jonathan, son of Abathar. You and Abathar take your two sons with you. Somebody say with you. With you. I will wait at the fords in the desert until word comes from you to inform me. So Zadok and Abathar took the ark of God back to Jerusalem and stayed there. So we're 500 years after Phinehas and one of his descendants, one of his descendants, a son named Zadok, is taking care of the very presence of God. And like any man who is jealous for God, as God is, it has a profound effect on his generations. Yeah. See, not only did that start in Phinehas, but you're seeing it here with Zadok too. Get your son to go with you. Get your son to walk with you. Let your son see what these are. See, God is about perpetuating this yeah. priesthood so that Ahimaaz is blessed because Zadok is as jealous for God as God is. Because his forefather, Phinehas, was as jealous for God as God is. 
Do you guys want to bless the next generation? Bless them with a jealousy that it matches like Phinehas had. Let's go to 1 Kings chapter 1, and we'll start in verse 38. First Kings one thirty eight. So Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet. That's a lineup that's building in power and momentum. Benaiah son of Jehoiada. When we have Zadok listed here, handling the Ark of the Covenant, he was entrusted with that by the king. We have Nathan the skillful of God speaking the word of the Lord to Israel and to its king. Benaiah, a warrior that is jealous for the name of the Lord and puts to death anything that stands in opposition to the Lord's name. This is a formidable group, right? And when you see these three men together, the ground should begin shaking, (laughs) awaiting the impact of these three men converging. With them were the Carathites and the Pelathites, and they went down and put Solomon on King David's mule and escorted him to Gihon. Zadok the priest took the horn of oil. This descendant of Phinehas standing here with a horn of oil. And it was from the sacred tent and he anointed Solomon. Zadok, just as zealous for the name of God as Phinehas was, took oil from the presence of God and anointed the next king of Israel. Is that a high honor and a privilege? What he matched that high honor and privilege was a zealousness for the name of God. That Zadok was accustomed with God's presence, which enabled him to rightly discern the use of God's anointing. See, as we grow and elevate our priesthood and increase our zealousness for the name of God, that allows us to experience more of God's presence getting familiar with his name and how he operates, and therefore the anointing that flows through you, you then have the correct discernment of how to use it that exalts his name above all others. Like we said earlier, those that are devoted to the Lord are anointed in special ways, and those that are anointed in special ways must show special devotion. Church, are you going to show special devotion? Let's expect then the anointing and the presence of God to fill us as we do it. It continues in the scripture. Then they sounded the trumpet and all the people shouted, long lives King Solomon. Here they are declaring the inauguration of a king that is at the center of Israel's greatness in their history. One that is symbolic of the eternal kingdom that is to be set up on earth whenever Jesus returns. And all the people went up after him, playing flutes and rejoicing greatly, so that the ground shook with the sound. That these three men, along with others, converged out of a zealousness for God's name. And the, the resting of God's authority on Zadok's shoulder, giving credit, giving highlight to Phineas's zeal for God's name, now displayed through his descendant, Zadok. And resulting in participating in the king of Israel's history, the great king, being a part of anointing him in that process. Because when you are as jealous for God's name as he is, you can then participate in perpetual priesthood. 
Now, we mean perpetual. We actually mean that this is going to carry on. So far, we've shown you a 500-year span where the descendants of Phinehas are still serving the Lord with the same kind of jealousy. Turn with us to Ezekiel 44. Ezekiel chapter 44, and we're going to look at verse 15. When we say perpetual, we mean actually perpetual. See, it's hard for us to consider these things that we started in 1500 and then Zadok was around 1000. And now we're going to advance another few hundred years to look at Ezekiel and look at verse 15. It says, but the priests who are Levites and descendants of Zadok and who faithfully carried out the duties of my sanctuary when the Israelites went astray from me are to come near to minister before me. So we are now around 600 B.C. We've taken from Phinehas through men like Zadok, and now we're about 600 years before Christ. What we have here is that these are the men who are called to minister before the Lord. They are to stand before me to offer sacrifices of fat and blood, declares the sovereign Lord. They are to enter, they alone are to enter my sanctuary. Somebody say, they alone. See, out of all the priesthood that was there in this day, there was still a group of people who were as jealous for the name of the Lord as Phinehas had been in his day. They were able to stand against the onslaught, the flood of dissipation that was in their day as well, and they were to stand righteously. Come on, church, this is what we are raising up at LCM. In the midst of all kind of perversion, in the midst of all kind of half-heartedness, in the midst of people who do not understand how to get a full victory. We are raising up a priesthood that will be perpetual, that will be able to last through the generations. God, we talked about this last year, didn't we? Didn't we talk about a thousand generations? See, did you hear Pastor Matt remind you of where we've been? Remind you of the things that we had to learn in 2019 so that God could tell us and invite us and give us the high honor and privilege of being called higher. So that you might have a perpetual priesthood that is from your line. Because it is of the same jealousy that even Phinehas had. These priests, these descendants of Zadok, they were blessed because they could be where the presence of the Lord was. Do you know what that means for the other priests? That means that they were still had assignments to work in and around the things of God, but they could no longer enter in to the presence of God. To be around the things of God without being able to be in His presence? Ezekiel 44 rattles me to my core every time I think about it. To be assigned to be around the things of God. To be able to move the things. To be able to touch certain things. To be close to it, but not in His presence. The only people allowed in His presence were those who had the same jealousy that Phinehas had. Who had the same integrity that Phinehas had. They said, we will do this. We will not be weeping when we should be walking. We're going to cultivate our soul and we will not allow the stony, weed-filled, rocky places in our hearts to stay the way they are. This is what happened through the descendants of Zadok. They alone are to enter into my sanctuary. My God. What a privilege, but what a weighty thing is being said here to enter into God's presence. It's going to require that you become more jealous of God, that you become as jealous as he is for his own name. Wow. How many things need to die in us? How many things need to be cultivated out? Because he wants to help us. That's why the Lord is telling us this today. 
That's the one the Lord has been working on this for weeks. And now that we can look back, we see he's been working on it for months in our church. For more than a year, he's been working on a similar theme here. We're seeing it in different ways. We're understanding it in part. And it's building and it's building and it's building so that we might actually accomplish this and not just be a church who says it, but we actually cultivate a jealousy for God that will cause a perpetual priesthood to be here in this place. That was the word that came forth in tongues in the interpretation today, that he's with us. He is going to help us. He is going to make you strong enough to do this. But you have to become jealous for God. You have to become more jealous for God. You have to become as jealous for God as he is for his own name. That is what you must focus on. That is what you must do. You cannot hear that you, you cannot hear defeat in this message today. You must not hear defeat. Well, I'm already trying as much as I can. I don't think I can go more. See, that's why the Lord started off by telling us to cultivate the soil of our heart. Because if we were all doing everything that we could, you know what? He would not be telling us to do more, now would he? He's either right about what he's saying or he's not. You can either be prideful and say that there isn't sin, there isn't lack there, or you could just say, God, you're going to help us to do this. You're going to help us to have a perpetual priesthood. We can do this because you're with us, because you're going to help us. Lord, we're going to lay everything down. We just care about you. I'm not being zealous for my name. We're not being zealous for the name of LCM. We're not being zealous for the name of our, our pastors or our elders. We are being zealous for God's name in this place. And as you get that, as that gets down in your spirit, you're going to start finding that his strength is going to overwhelm you. Uh, Joy, can you put back up the, um, the slide for me? From Phinehas, look at the last name that we put on this. Phinehas was in the law. Zadok we read about through the prophets. Turn with me to Ezra chapter 7. Ezra chapter 7. We're going to start in verse 1. It says this, After these things, during the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, Ezra, son of Sariah, the son of Azariah, the son of Hilkiah, the son of Shalom, the son of Zadok, the perpetual priesthood, the son of Ahitub, the son of Amariah, the son of Azariah, the son of Merah, the son of Zeriah, the son of Uzi, the son of Buki, the son of Abishua, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the chief priest. Yeah. First of all, aren't you glad you didn't have to read that? Don't ask Ohad. That was perfect pronunciation on every one of them. I promise. Verse six, this Ezra came up from Babylon. That's kind of cool. This Ezra. There might be somebody else with the same name, but we're talking about this Ezra. Come on. This one who was the same descendant from Zadok, the descendant of Phinehas, the descendant of Aaron, the high priest. This is the Ezra that I'm talking to you about. This is the one who is just as zealous as his forefathers were. And that's how this keeps perpetuating. He was a teacher well-versed in the law of Moses. What does that mean? That means that Ezra was so jealous for the word of the Lord. He was well-versed in it. He spent every day, all day, doing exactly what the Lord had showed him to do. He was a teacher well-versed in the law of Moses, which the Lord, the God of Israel, had given 
The king had granted him everything he asked for, for the hand of the Lord was on him. See, the hand of the Lord is on those who are jealous for the Lord, who are zealous for him and him alone. This is 15 generations after Phinehas. Somebody say 15. 15. Well, that's a long time. This is somewhere over 1,000 years from where Phinehas was standing. See, when the Lord says a perpetual priesthood, he's not playing. He doesn't mean, he doesn't mean it as a metaphor. He means that he will take this kind of attitude and cause it to go through the generations, through time, through a thousand years, and we're seeing a man who is a descendant of Phinehas. My goodness, this Ezra is the one that we're talking about to you today. See, the same as jealousy as Zadok, the same jealousy as Phinehas, as God himself, is still present in this man. It's still present in his family line. God, that's hard for us to consider, isn't it? It's, it's hard for me to consider a thousand years. But this is what God promised, and he is able to keep that which he has promised to you. He is able to do and to fulfill his goodwill in us. When you are as jealous for God's name as he is, you can then participate in a perpetual priesthood. Church, do you want to participate in the perpetual priesthood? Let's look at some of the things that Ezra actually did that demonstrated he had a jealousy for God's name. Look at verse 10 in chapter 7. For Ezra had devoted himself to the study and observance of the law of the Lord. What does your study of the word look like? What does it look like on a daily basis? As we were reflecting on the word that God gave us at the beginning of last year and bring it at full circle to the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. We begin to see the priestly elements of what He is calling us to elevate to. The daily disciplines that the Lord has given us, those are priestly commands of what they were to do on a daily basis. And without even making any of our own connections, the Lord has been giving us word after word after that point because He wants us to elevate our priesthood. You want to elevate your priesthood? Devote yourself to the study and observance of God's commands. Constantly cultivating your heart with His Word. Letting it be pierced. Letting the rocks be removed. The weeds be exterminated by His Word. Because if the perfect Son of God used His very Word to resist the temptation of the devil, how much more than do we need His Word? And devote ourselves. Display that jealousy for His name and by consuming His Word. See, church, this is not just about study. It's not just about you reading. It's study and observance of the word. He's learning it and he's doing it. He's learning it and he's doing it. He's not learning it for learning its sake. He's putting it into practice. And this is showing a jealous nature for the word. What that then enables you to do is the remaining half of the scripture and to teaching its decrees and laws in Israel. We have a study. We have an observance. And now we have the ability to teach. And what you're going to teach is that jealousness for God's name that displays itself in what you're mining, observing, and sharing from the word. Verse 11, this is a copy of the letter King Artaxerxes had given to Ezra, the priest and teacher, a man learned in matters concerning the commands and decrees of the Lord for Israel. Artaxerxes, king of kings. Kind of a misplaced title there. Not really. To Ezra, the priest 
a teacher of the law of the God of heaven. The zealousness that he had for God's name was a continuance of the perpetual priesthood established by Phineas. And what it led to was him standing in the place of not just being a priest, but being a teacher of the law of the God of heaven, holding up the name of the Lord through the display of his word. When you're as jealous for God's name as he is, you can then participate in a perpetual priesthood. Ezra, being as jealous for God's name as God was, not only allowed him to participate in the perpetual priesthood Phineas initiated, but it also brought him an elevated level of priesthood being declared as a teacher of the law of the God of heaven. Ezra was consumed with the jealousy for God's name that enabled him to purify the priesthood as well as the nation of Israel. Let's look at John 2, and we'll look at verse 13. And see that how this continues through the real king of kings, Yeshua. John 2, 13. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found men selling cattle, sheep, and doves and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple area, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. Those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. How dare you turn my father's house into a market? In verse 17, his disciples remembered that it is written zeal for your house will consume me they remembered psalm 69 9 as they saw their disciple maker demonstrate a jealousy for god's name that god has for his name what are you being consumed by today is it more jealousy for your name and reputation than god's name and reputation Is it jealousy for the dead comforts that lead to a dead end of a spiritual life? Or is it a zeal for God's name that leads to resurrection life on a daily basis within you? What needs to be driven out of the temple of your heart so that the jealousy for God's name is able to consume you? Because when you're as jealous for God's name as he is, you can then participate in a perpetual priesthood. Do you want to participate in a perpetual priesthood? Let's purify our hearts. Let's purify our priesthood. Let's elevate our priesthood and join the jealousy that God has for his name. Turn with us to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, and we're going to start in verse 9. Church, the word of the Lord to us is a very, very clear word. He's saying... I'm going to elevate your priesthood. I want to perpetuate your priesthood. But what he's demanding of us, what he's requiring of us, is that we grow in our jealousy for him and him alone. Where nothing else matters, where nothing else are we even concerned about compared to what he is saying to us, to his great name, to his reputation, not your own. Look at Romans chapter 12 and verse 9. It says this, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Wow. 
We're going to start off with a love-hate relationship right here. Love must be sincere, but for your love to be sincere, there must be things that you hate. Because there are things that God hates. Hate what is evil. Hate it. Do you hate it with a passion when something evil is happening? What if you're the one doing it? You should hate evil. It should cause something to stir up inside of you. A zealousness, a jealousy for things being in right order. Those partial victories that you've had. You have to hate those evil things inside of you. Not I did better than I did the last time. Lord, I want victory in this because your name deserves it. Because you deserve it in my life. You were strong enough to help crush this enemy on the inside of you. I want to hate what is evil. With the same tenacity and jealousy, I want to cling to what is good. I want to cling to his word. To study and observe everything that he says. I can assure you, every mistake in my life is because I have failed to do what the word of God said. Every time. Without fail. And if we're going to elevate our priesthood, if we're going to have a priesthood that is worth perpetuating, he's saying these are the standards that we must come to. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. What the Lord is doing in any individual person is never about you alone. It is never about you alone. Well, the Lord loves me. Yes, he's also jealous. See, what he's doing in you when you do this right, just like Phinehas, it spreads to those in your own generation and then it spreads through the generations. Anything less, you have not yet found the jealousy that God has for his own name. Look at verse 11. Never be lacking in zeal. Never be lacking in zeal. Not at the end of a long work day. Not at the end of a long project or work week. Never be lacking in zeal for the things of the Lord. Because He never lacks zeal towards us. He never lacks zeal towards accomplishing His will. But keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. This is not for a message for those who are in their teens and 20s only. This is not just a message that says you should be like you were then. I'm saying you should be more today than you've ever been. And if you're not, then you don't have the same jealous for his name, jealousy for his name that he has yet. Perhaps you're lacking in zeal in an area. You're zealous in one area, but you are completely indifferent in another. Jealousy for God's name will produce a perpetual priesthood. When you are jealous for his name as he is, he will help you. He did it with Phinehas. He did it through Zadok. He did it through the descendants of Zadok. He did it through Ezra, and he could do it with you today. Stand to your feet with me. Quickly stand to your feet. Zealously stand to your feet. God is calling us upward. This is not 
a new text for you. This is not a new phrase for you. He is trying to elevate your priesthood. He is calling us and he's saying, I've got a plan for you. I'm going to give you steps to do. You can trust me, but you have to be zealous for me. I'm not as interested that you can jump up and down at your seat and then not be moved when he's telling you to move. Please dance before the Lord as he is jealous. But if you can dance before the Lord and then not be here when you're supposed to, what good is that? Are you really dancing for his name or for your own namesake? How are you interacting and leading your family? How are you walking in your own family banner? How are you walking in what God has already given you? Church, we've got to get more zealous for the Lord. We have to turn up the jealousy. Pastor, I prefer the word zealous. It's jealousy for the things of the Lord. Be more mature than that. I don't like that word. Well, you should. Maybe you don't like the word because you're not jealous enough. Maybe that's offensive to you because you have an elementary perspective on this and God is saying, step up. Be zealous for me. Quit fighting for your own way, for your own thoughts, for your own decisions. Well, I just think that I don't care what you think. And you shouldn't either. It only matters what the Lord is saying to you and if you are studying and observing this. Oh, I'd rather we be at a church that is full of people who are observing the word really, really well. To study without observing and doing it, you're missing the jealousy. Church, your pastors are becoming more and more jealous for the things of the Lord. Pastor, what should we do about this? I don't know. I'm going to go pray, and until he tells me something, I don't have an answer for you. You know why? Because I'm jealous that he get it right. I'm jealous for you. I'm jealous. I'm jealous for his namesake in this house. I don't want us to be a church that steps forward and in a few years fizzles. Oh, you remember the good old days? Remember in 29? No, 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 no. Our good old days are still yet ahead of us. A perpetual priesthood causes us to have more hope for the future than we do reliance on the past. We can step forward and say, he will perpetuate this in us. If we are as jealous for his name as he is. Mighty God, we come before you right now asking for you to move upon our hearts, asking for you to help us. Lord, far too long we've been jealous for a whole lot of other things. We're jealous for our own ways. We're jealous for our own thoughts. Lord, but we want to be jealous for you. Lord, let men like Phinehas rise in this place who take no thought for their own life but are so jealous for your namesake, Lord, that they will be willing to do anything, go anywhere, give everything they have over and over and over again. God, we want to be a church that is jealous for you. I want to be a man that is jealous for you. I want to be as jealous for your name as you are. That is our standard. That is our banner. That is the goal. Lord, that you would help us because you've promised us that you will. You've told us that if we will but entrust ourselves to you and cultivate the soil and cure the Kohanim, Lord, and purify the priesthood, that you would help us to get to a perpetual priesthood in this place. 
God, fill us with your zeal today. Let us feel what you feel. Let us think what you think, God. We are your children and we are asking, Lord, that we might walk in this way. That we might be strengthened to have a lasting, perpetual priesthood in this place. In Jesus' name.